Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be together again and glad that we can take a few minutes together to unpack God's Word and see what it has to say to us this morning. Have you ever experienced in your life, a time in your life, where someone did something to you that was just evil? Now, I'm not talking about something that where somebody talked behind your back or someone pulled a prank on you or you did something that you just didn't like. I'm talking about an intentional uh, plan that produced harmful results in you. Perhaps you were cut out of a business deal that you helped to start. Or maybe you were blamed and used uh, to protect others in some kind of cover-up at work. Or maybe a spouse betrayed you and your marriage deeply. Or maybe you've been abandoned by someone in your family. Or perhaps you've been sexually assaulted, leaving you with deep and emotional scars. I'm sure if we had time to listen to each, 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 listen to each other this morning, uh, for those who are watching, that we would hear a variety of stories that have left deep scars in our life. And no matter how strong we are, these experiences can affect us emotionally and physically and spiritually. It can feel like we are all alone in our struggle, like we're living in exile. And while those experiences and outcomes have been difficult, I want you to know that there's hope. And God has a message for you this morning. The context of the scripture uh, that Miranda read this morning is a reconciliation between family members over a 25-year-old heinous family feud, which resulted in Joseph spending a good part of his life, about 25 years, in exile away from his family. Joseph came from a highly dysfunctional family characterized by anger and jealousy and greed. And while we don't have time to unpack all that was, all, the reason why that was uh, this morning, I want to give you some highlights of what happened to Joseph in his life along the way that led to this dialogue between him and his brothers in Genesis 50. First, it's important to understand that Joseph's brothers hated him. Why? Because Joseph's, uh, Joseph, the brother's father, Jacob, Joseph's father, Jacob, uh, favored Joseph over the other sons. Here's what we read in Exodus 37, verses 3 and 4. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Word to him. Now the brothers' disdain for Joseph reached a high point when Joseph shared a dream that he had with them which revealed that the brothers and Jacob's, uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, would one day bow to Joseph. Now, was this arrogance on Joseph's part? Was this immaturity? Was this just lack of filter for a typical 17-year-old? We don't fully know, but we know that there was a reaction that came from the fact that Joseph shared this dream with his brothers. One day, while they were far from home, the brothers formed an elaborate plot to kill Joseph and to make it look like an accident. 
That plan was aborted, thankfully, and instead they roughed him up, they threw him into a ditch, and ended up selling him into slavery. The brothers staged his death to make it look like he was attacked and killed by a ferocious animal. The brothers went home and reported to their father that Joseph had died. Imagine the anger and the jealousy and the deceit the brothers must have had towards Joseph in order to go that far. Brings to light the words, of the words that come from James 4, where it says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Imagine the rejection and betrayal Joseph must have felt by his brothers. For all Joseph knew, he would never see them or the rest of his family again. If we fast forward a few years, it seems like Joseph's situation goes from bad to worse. Joseph was sold to Potiphar, which was one of Pharaoh's officials. He was the chief executioner uh, of the executioners. Uh, so if anyone knew how to uh, take somebody out, uh, uh, Potiphar knew how to do that. So here we see Joseph being forced to be and do something he didn't want to do. He was forced into the house, into slavery. But God was with Joseph and gave him great success as he, as he served. And Potiphar put him in charge of everything. Here's what we read in Genesis 39. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Now, a typical response to a bad experience that's evil, that maybe take us away from our home or damage us in some way, shape, or form, would be questions like, where is God? Or, or why did God let this happen? Or how can I believe in a God that allowed this evil to happen to me, let alone happen in the world? The text here tells us that it was very clear that God was with Joseph. God was so close to Joseph that others could see God at work through him. Question for you this morning. What evidence of God do people see in your life? See, sometimes we assume our circumstances reveal an absence of God, when in reality, God is very much present in our life, and he's at work. Despite what Joseph had been going through, God was up to something. Now, unfortunately, there was another problem that Joseph had to deal with. Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph, but noticed him differently than, than Potiphar did. Joseph, uh, uh, Potiphar's wife recognized Joseph for his great physique and look and physical appearance. I've been told many times that uh, I resemble the life of Joseph in his body and his, and his forget it, I'll, I was just joking. <laughs> but Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph to go to bed with him. Yet the story tells us that Joseph refused. And it was very clear why he refused. He gave, him two re gave her two reasons. He's like, how can I do this great evil and, and jeopardize my relationship with Potiphar 
But more importantly, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? See, Joseph had this loyalty to Potiphar and to God. And it reveals to us that Joseph was being influenced by God during this time. Joseph was trusting God's wisdom and guidance. And he feared God for it and not wanting to do something that would sin against him. Potiphar's wife continued to force herself on Joseph. And at one point it reached a head where uh, Potiphar's wife tried to grab Joseph and Joseph uh, tried to run and he broke away and left his jacket behind. And Potiphar's wife used that opportunity to claim that Joseph had tried to rape her. And Potiphar put Joseph into prison. Now, I'm, if you're like me, you're wondering what is going on with God and Joseph in this situation? Certainly, no doubt, as Joseph went down into that dungeon, he has doubts and he has questions and he must be frustrated. I mean, after all he did to flee temptation, to flee sin, and here he is accused of rape and thrown into a dungeon. It reminds me of what Isaiah said in 55 verses 8 and 9 where it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So clearly God was with Joseph. Clearly God was up to something. But God's ways are different than ours. And the difference can be found in two ways. First, it can be, the difference can be found in time. It had been many years since Joseph was sold by his brothers. God uses time to refine. In God's economy, 20 years is like 20 minutes to God. The second difference is process. It's in the process we learn to walk in step with God. We learn to see God's ways. Back in the 80s and the 90s, Polaroid came out with this amazing camera. It was an Insta camera. And it allowed people to take pictures and spit out a, 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 a photograph that was undeveloped. And over a few minutes, it would take time to develop. Now, I know you iPhoneies out there uh, who like the instant digital look and uh, the instant selfies. This baby rocked the, rocked the uh, technology world back in the day. It was awesome. People looked forward to it and wanted to use it. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to snap a little, a little selfie here right now. Beautiful. Pull this out. Yeah. Now, here, here's the deal about the Polaroid instant camera film. I don't know if you remember, but it would come out gray and everyone would kind of flap it around, shake it around a little bit in order to get the, uh, the, the image to come clearer faster. Walking with God is sometimes like a Polaroid instant camera film. The picture is bad at first, but over time it reveals a moment in our life, a memory, something that was formative in our life. So we have to allow the time in the process 
in order to understand God's thoughts and God's ways and align ourselves to where God is leading and what God is doing. Now, although Joseph was once again forced into an unfamiliar setting in this prison, he was in familiar company. Genesis 39 tells us that God was with Joseph in prison. Here's what it says in verse 21 and 22. It said, The Lord was with Joseph. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that he had done. What happened during this time? Joseph continued to serve, and he continued to reveal the evidence of God in his life to the warden. And he was continuing to move forward. It was during this time that Joseph interpreted the dreams for Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker while they were doing time with Joseph in prison. Joseph strikes a deal with the cupbearer to bring Joseph's case to Pharaoh in exchange for Joseph interpreting the cupbearer's dream that he had. And though Joseph lived up to his end of the deal, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph once he left the prison and then left Joseph to stay there for another two years alone. What kept Joseph going? We see God's hand in Joseph's life, but I have to believe that during these times, God is encouraging Joseph to remain faithful despite being rejected by others around him so many times. And although Joseph may not know what he has, to, uh, may not know what he has, know what, what that was, he has to know and understand that God is somehow using this as a refining process to prepare Joseph to be used for something greater, something bigger. The rejection and disappointments in Joseph's life is work being done in Joseph's life so that God will be able to work through Joseph's life later on. King David knew this. We read in Psalm 62 where he sang this song. He said, I wait patiently for God to save me. I depend on him alone. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender, and I shall never be defeated. Job understood this concept as well, too. And Job 23.10 says, But he knows the, ways that, the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. No doubt Job and King David would have known the story of Joseph and known that, that what happened to Joseph was something that they could learn and they could apply into their own settings and their own crises and problems and challenges along the way. But the point in all this is that it's when we are alone with God that we realize that we only have God to depend on. And as we depend on God, he proves to be faithful over and over again. God often uses unlikely places and experiences to teach us to fully depend on him. And sometimes God will strip away things in our life in order to create a greater dependence on him. We fast forward a little bit more to chapter 41. The reason becomes clear, that Polaroid 
starts to take an image of Joseph's life. The story continues in chapter 41, and the events begin to reveal what and why God had been doing. Pharaoh had a couple of dreams that left him very unsettled. And when no one in his court could interpret the dreams, it was the cupbearer who remembered Joseph at that moment. So the cupbearer then, two years later, speaks up for Joseph, and Pharaoh releases Joseph from prison and has Joseph brought to Pharaoh to help him interpret the dreams. Joseph explains that the land would see seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph made an executive recommendation to Pharaoh to use the seven years to collect and save for the seven years of famine. So Pharaoh immediately makes Joseph the prime minister of Egypt, and he tasks Joseph with, the, with preparing for that famine. Pharaoh immediately makes Joseph uh, um, the prime, uh, everything under, and everyone is put under Joseph's responsibility. Joseph was answerable only to Pharaoh himself. And we can begin to see that this role would require an abundance of wisdom and humility and grace and dependence on God as he led this nation through this national crisis. God used the bad experience in Joseph's life to prepare him for a time such as this. And a couple years into the famine, Joseph's brothers were sent by Jacob to Egypt to buy some grain. Joseph recognized who his brothers were, were, and he reveals himself to his brothers. The reunion and the reconciliation was a powerful and emotional event. Joseph, the ruler of Egypt, was standing before his brothers who had bowed down to him. Joseph could have very easily had his brothers thrown into prison for what they had done or had them tortured or, or killed or, or even banished from Egypt to die in their land for the, from the famine. But instead, Joseph exercises grace and mercy and forgiveness. Joseph sent his brothers back home to pack up their families and their father and bring them to Egypt so that they could be reunited together and given land by Joseph and the Pharaoh, and given provision for the years to come. When Jacob died, Joseph's brothers feared that Joseph would now have his revenge on them, and Joseph might, have kill, might, would, might, might kill, them, kill him. So they concocted this story that their father had left instructions for Joseph to never retaliate against them. And having heard this from his brothers, Joseph sets them straight. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The word good here in verse 20, to uh, um, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good, is the same word form that's used at the beginning of Genesis, where God called all creation good. So it's like an introduction where God calls everything good, and the conclusion of Genesis, where he said what was intended for evil, God intended for good. 
immediately. This reveals the nature of who God is. God is a good God. God is at work in your life, in my life, for the good of us, for the betterment of us. God is for us, not against us. He is working all things for the good of those who love him. See, in this moment, Joseph was able to see beyond that evil circumstance and to see that God used the horrific rejection by Joseph's brothers for God's greater purpose. Now, what's interesting here is that God's purpose had multiple dimensions. It was not just one purpose. It was multiple dimensions in that purpose. The first one was personal. God used the bad experiences in Joseph's life to transform and shape and mold Joseph personally. See, sin separates us from each other. Sin destroys. Sin sets, uh, uh, sets us apart and creates a divide between all things. Yet God is the great redeemer. Through Jesus, he is restoring his people. He is bringing all things back together, back to its created order, not broken and divided, but united, redeemed, renewed, and restored, and one. And we see throughout the story of Joseph's life in each and one of those circumstances that God used the bad experience in Joseph's life to reconcile and protect and restore Joseph and that God walked with Joseph every step of the way. Friends, we need to understand that when we, are, when we have a relationship with God, God is not absent. God is with us. God walks with us. God provides for us. He protects us. Even when it may not feel like that he's there, he is. The second dimension is family. God used the bad experiences in Joseph's life to reconcile and protect and save and restore a family. God used what had happened in order to do a transforming work in the brothers, that they came to a place where they were contrite and they realized that they were wrong and they asked for Joseph's forgiveness. God is in the business of restoring families and making them whole and healthy again. God does that in Joseph's family, and God also can do that and will do that in your family. There was a, another dimension. It was the corporate dimension, where God used the bad experience in Joseph's life to save many lives in Egypt during that time. That famine could have wiped out the nation of Egypt, yet God used the wisdom of Joseph. He spoke through Joseph through the dreams and prepared Joseph to be able to manage significant amounts of resources with, uh, in Potiphar's home and with the warden that he was able to manage uh, all that would happen during that seven years of abundance and then that seven years of famine that, he allowed, that God allowed people not to perish. And then the last dimension that we have to look at is the, what we call the meta-narrative. And the meta-narrative is the overarching story of God from Genesis to Re Revelation, from the beginning of time to the end of time, where God is connecting his people as individuals to his greater story and the greater work that he's doing in the world 
trying to redeem people for his purpose. God provided for Israel and his people to move them into Egypt for an incubation period, a safe haven where the nation of Israel was developed over many generations after Joseph's death and after his brother's death. We read at the beginning of Exodus 2 how, how the nation of Israel continued to form and develop. God used the nation of, of Egypt in order to uh, provide a safe haven for his people, for the nation of Israel. During the pandemic, the movie title, I Still Believe, was released. And it's the story of Christian artist Jeremy Camp, who went through a very difficult ordeal of losing his first wife to cancer. And at a time when Jeremy could have abandoned his then-girlfriend to move on with his own life, Jeremy ended up marrying this girl in order to walk with her through, her through the ordeal so she would not be alone. It's a powerful movie. I think our family's watched it like nine times in the last week. Um, and I would encourage you to watch it um, with your family or, or on your own. But for, the, for now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to show you a clip from that movie that speaks to our big idea this morning. Dad. Can I ask you a question? Anything. I remember I prayed and prayed in this room for Josh to be born healthy. It didn't happen. And you prayed for so long for your ministry. Still nothing. Dad, I begged God to heal Melissa. What am I supposed to do with that? Are you asking if Josh's disabilities were disappointing? Yes, they are. Did I have big dreams that didn't come true? Sure. Do I understand why Melissa isn't here anymore? No, son, I don't. I'm sorry. But I know my life is full. I feel rich and I'm proud of this family. Honestly, at the time, I didn't agree with what you did. I didn't understand it. You chose willingly to walk into the fire with her, right beside her, all the way to the end. But then, that's exactly what I would do for your mom and you boys. That's what love is. I got to watch my son do that. 
for his wife. That was a privilege. I don't know the answers to your questions. But I do know this. That my life is not full in spite of the disappointments. It's full because of them. I'm proud of you. Did you hear what the dad said? He said, my life is not full in spite of the disappointments in his life. He said his life is full because of them. Friends, to have this kind of an understanding requires us to go through disappointments and bad experiences in our life with God. And that's our big idea this morning. That's our takeaway. God uses bad experiences in our life for his greater purpose. God is doing something much bigger, much greater, more than we can fully understand and imagine at this moment for the greater good of us and for his people. When we have that understanding, it reveals a strong and tested and mature faith even when we cannot see. I would suspect that some of you this morning are watching and you have gone through some horrific things. And for that, I am so, so sorry. But here's the challenge for you this morning. Don't let those events rob you of the opportunity to have a full life. See, I would suspect that some of us are living our life stuck. We feel like we can't get past the hurt and the blame and the loss and the grief. And we, we almost spin our wheels. We get stuck. We're not able to experience full life. Don't be defined by what has been done to you. Be defined by the God who wants to refine you and bring good out of the bad experiences that has happened to you. If you're here this morning and you are sensing that you've been stuck and you've allowed yourself to be robbed to live life full, you don't have to live that way anymore. All you have to do is say a simple prayer or, or call out to God in a very simple way to say, God, I want to live life full. Help me to understand what you're doing right now in my life. Help me to walk with you, not by sight, but by faith. God, take this bad experience that I'm, I'm wrestling with right now and use it for the good and for your redemptive purpose. If you said that this morning, I would like to know about that. We would like to know as a church so that we can, one, pray for you and encourage you. So you're going to see a little thing pop up that says, I prayed that prayer this morning. Go ahead and click that button. And uh, if you need someone to pray with you, activate the prayer button at the bottom of your screen uh, that allows you to connect with somebody and pray with them. 
And we would be delighted to pray with you and talk with you and help you to figure out the second part of our, of our challenge is to figure out the next steps in your life. See, making that decision by clicking that button or praying that prayer is a one-time decision, but it's a lifetime of steps in walking with God. And God's going to walk you from today to the next step and the next step and the next step. Friends, Joseph's life was full because he was rejected and he was sold into slavery and he was thrown into prison. Let God's plan, uh, let God's plan to use evil for good to heal you and restore you today. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, I pray that you would probe the hearts of the people that are listening this morning. And I pray that you would speak to them and give them a sense of comfort and a sense of peace in knowing that you have not abandoned them, but that you are with them. And God, I pray that whatever experience that they have wrestled with and faced with, whether a personal issue or as something as, um, as corporate as this pandemic, uh, or the injustices that we have seen that's had an impact on our lives. God, I pray that your will be done. And I pray that you would take those evil experiences that have happened and use them for your good and for our good in those that who love you. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us again this morning. Before I turn it back over to Christy, I just want to remind you of the parking lot prayer night that we're going to have. It's our, our first gathering as church starting to get back together. It's going to be on Monday, June 22nd from 6.30 to 7.30. Check out our social media pages this week and uh, you'll be able to find ways to find information and you'll be able to sign up and be part of that. And I look forward to seeing you there. Have a great day.